The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. To everybody in the room and everybody tuning in on the live stream from afar, I want to welcome each and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. It's bittersweet to be here. It's bittersweet to be present with one another, with some of us, and yet absent from so many. And even while we're present with this small little crew in here, to not be able to enjoy that same kind of physical intimacy that we're used to. It's bittersweet for us. And I've been thinking about Paul's metaphor of the body of Christ how we've got hands and feet and eyes and livers and lungs, all of us. And I think in this time, it's almost as if, as the body of Christ, a limb has fallen asleep. Like we've woken up from this bad dream, but we're not fully yet awake. We, the body feels near, but it feels far. It feels alive and yet numb somehow. And so I, I want to encourage you, and continue to ask God to give us the strength to walk through this bittersweet season, to walk through this season where we are waking up, but we're not together. And as we await that spirit that would give life to our dulled limbs. So we're finishing out the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. And that means that next week will be a new sermon series, and we're going to stay in the Old Testament, right in the neighborhood here. In fact, we're going to stay in wisdom literature as well, but the next book we're going to talk about next week is still quite different uh, in that we're starting a sermon series called Proverbs, Wisdom for the Journey. There's a legend that likes to think of Solomon as writing Song of Songs in his youth and writing Ecclesiastes in his jaded old age and then right in the sweet center, the heart, the middle of life, writing the book of Proverbs. And so Proverbs for us, I think, in this time of novel problems and hot takes and information coming at us from all corners, I think there's a deep, deep need for time-tested wisdom. We have a deep, deep need to hear from the wisdom of God as we walk on this journey with one another. So I hope you'll be either here in the room or online tuning in next week, May 31st, as we start our new sermon series in the book of Proverbs. Well, we start this morning by finishing Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 8. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain. In the day when the guards of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the women who grind cease working because they are few. And those who look through the windows see dimly. When the doors on the street are shut and the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. 
when one is afraid of heights and terrors are in the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because all must go to their eternal home. And the mourners will go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is broken at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the breath returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. All is vanity. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we worship you. We humbly ask for your guidance and your presence and your grace to sustain us on our journey, to give us good news, to give us hope. I ask you to give me the gift of preaching this morning and that you would illuminate this text in our hearing through the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. During April quarantine, I read a little book of poetry by an author named Clive Hamilton called Spirits in Bondage. And it was a dark little book of poetry uh, because it was written by an atheist British soldier in World War I, and he wrote most of the poems either in the trenches or in the hospital recovering from his injuries. And it's a strange little book of poetry. I want to read for you just a couple little sections from the second poem in the book, which is called French Nocturne. And it's probably the best poem in the book. He says in in the second stanza, The jaws of a sacked village, stark and grim, out on the ridge, have swallowed up the sun. And in one angry streak, his blood has run to left and right along the horizon dim. And then in the final stanza, he says, What call have I to dream of anything? I am a wolf back to the world again. And speech of fellow brutes that once were men, our throats can bark for laughter, cannot sing. Spirits in Bondage was published under the name Clive Hamilton, which was the pseudonym for someone we know as Clive Staples, better known as C.S. Lewis. And it's strange to go back and read this early poetry from an atheist C.S. Lewis in the trenches of World War I with an understandably dim and dismal view of the world. It's strange to read it, especially knowing the incredible, joyful believer that will sprout in his life, the C.S. Lewis that we know and love. And there are moments in Spirits in Bondage that sound like Ecclesiastes. You can see from this very poem, moments that just sound this dark and dismal note of mourning and cynicism and despair. And like C.S. Lewis's young, war-torn world, the world of Ecclesiastes is this world waiting on the good news. It's a world pregnant with longing for the gospel. 
And we see this even in the first two verses of the final chapter. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. And the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain. Before the days of trouble come. That stings a little in May 2020. But throughout Ecclesiastes, we see, as we see in these verses, this tension between life and death. Between life and death. Throughout Ecclesiastes, even in this verse here, remember your creator. It's the creator who gives us life, that brings us into existence, and yet that Hebrew word for creator also sounds a little like the Hebrew word for grave. So even as we remember our life and existence from the creator, we remember the days of trouble are coming. We remember that day of the grave is inevitable. And so Ecclesiastes takes us through these 12 chapters with this tension between life and death. We might even say it's a tension between Hebel, remember that Hebrew word from the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes, vanity, meaninglessness, or vapor, or breath, literally. Ecclesiastes has this tension between Hebel and between carpe diem. So there are all these texts that say, yep, life is fleeting and it seems pointless and it seems meaningless and vaporous. And then there's these other passages all throughout that say carpe diem, that say seize the day. And so these seize the day passages, uh, they tell us, you know what, there's really nothing better that you can do than just to eat drink and be merry that's the best that God has really given us life is fleeting it's a gift from God so the best you can do is just enjoy it eat drink be merry enjoy the toil of your work enjoy your spouse if you've got one eat drink and be merry carpe diem seize the day there's a constant tension between life and death in Ecclesiastes and death is really at the forefront of our minds because life is lived with that consciousness of death. When we keep death in our consciousness, we remember the preciousness of life itself. And so death has been a really common theme in this book. I really don't know if Ben and I have preached a sermon in this whole series that hasn't in some significant way touched on the topic of death simply because it's there throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes over and over and over again. But we remember our creator because that is how we know how to live and that's how we know how to die. It's interesting the way that the circumstances into which we read the Bible raise up new things for us to see. And I was thinking about the last sermon I preached last year in 2019 at the end of December. And we were in Hebrews chapter 2 and I remember preaching a lot about death in fact. And 
I remember having to say, look, many of us are, are afraid of death, but some of us forget about death or we try to forget about death or we forget about those who can't forget about death. And it's interesting to think of how that sermon would be preached today when none of us can really stop thinking about death to some extent. We can't forget about it, at least, because it's all around us everywhere. It's on the front page every day. Death, constantly before us, even as we live life. There is a 15th century Christian monk that wrote a little book about dying well. And in Latin, the title is Ars Moriendi, which means the art of dying. And it was this little 15th century book written actually about a half century after the bubonic plague, after the black death that swept across Europe and parts of Asia and North Africa. And it was this book trying to encourage Christians to think about how to die well. A book that focuses on the temptations that come at us when we think about death or get near to our deaths. And as my friend Stephen Lawson was pointing out recently, you know, if we polled everybody in this room of how they would like to die, probably most of us would answer somewhere in the neighborhood of quick, painless, in my sleep. Quick, painless, in my sleep. I mean, that sounds pretty good. But it's interesting that for many centuries, Christians have been worshiping and praying and asking God to deliver them from an unexpected and unprepared death. Christians haven't been wont to forget about death. They've wanted to remember it in order to live their lives accordingly. They've wanted to remember the consciousness of death and therefore the preciousness of life. And yet, not all of us have the chance to learn how to die well. Not all of us have the time or the chance to learn how to die well. Some of us are gone in an instant. Some of us have lost loved ones in an instant. Many in these days have lost loved ones in an instant. And so Ecclesiastes says in verses 5 through 8, all must go to their eternal home and the mourners will go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is broken at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the breath returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. All is hebel. All is meaningless, fleeting, vapor, breath. And it's interesting, if we were Hebrew speakers, we would have probably heard echoes of Hebel long ago. We would have heard echoes of this Hebrew word Hebel in Ecclesiastes from much earlier in Scripture because it actually shows up as early as Genesis chapter 4. You see, that proper noun, that noun Hebel is the proper noun Abel. 
That's the Hebrew spelling of the name, the proper noun, Abel. And most of us know the story of Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. How Cain and Abel both bring an offering before God and God looks favorably upon Abel's and he looks unfavorably upon Cain's. And then in verse eight, after God talks to Cain, it says that Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. The story of Abel is the story of Hebel. It's the story of fleeting life lost too soon. It's the story of an untimely death, of a victim who fell victim to the violent cruelties of this world. And so Ecclesiastes asks us, can we make sense of this? Can we make sense of this absurdity of life gone too quickly? Can we make sense of this tragic loss of Abel, of the tragic loss of our own Abels, of the many lives gone so quickly in the world? I think this side of eternity, our answer is, no, we can't make perfect sense of this. We can't make perfect sense of the absurdity of sin and death and decay. We can't make perfect sense of the lives lost too soon, of the Abels, the loved ones that are gone. And the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time making sense of Abel. It doesn't talk about him all that much, although he crops up again from time to time, and he crops up especially in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews, it praises Abel for his faith. It praises him for his righteous offering. And then in chapter 12, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We can't make sense of all the blood crying out from the ground. We can't make perfect sense of all the lives lost to COVID-19. We can't make perfect sense of the loved ones' lives that we've lost. But in Jesus Christ, we have a better word than the blood of Abel. In Jesus Christ, we have a better word than Hebel. Because in Jesus Christ, we have a word whose absurd death has been overcome in the resurrection. In Jesus Christ, we have a word of grace and truth and salvation. We have a word that we cannot fully grasp. It's Hebel, it's 
ungraspable. But in Jesus Christ, we have a word that has fully grasped us. That holds us in the midst of the absurdity, in the midst of the meaninglessness, in the midst of the trenches, in the midst of the ward. In Jesus Christ, we are fully grasped by a better word, a word of hope. We have these lives of Hebel, fleeting, vaporous. We have the loss and love of our Abels. But in Jesus Christ, we have a gift eternally given. God's primary action in the book of Ecclesiastes is giving. And in Jesus, we are given a life, a death, a resurrection, and a word that redeems us for the hope of God's glory. So may we remember our death. May we remember the dead. May we remember our lives and remember to live them according to that better word of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and praise him together, church.